Good morning. Before I dive into the sermon, I wanted to comment on the uh, Finance Committee's report. It just reminded me of, of something that I learned a long time ago, which I thought was very valuable. So I just passed this on to you. There was a Christian missionary in the 1900s named Hudson Taylor. And he uh, founded what was then called the China Inland Mission. And he was a missionary to China. And one of his uh, legacies was this sentence. He said, God's work done in God's way will never lack supplies. God's work done in God's way will never lack supplies. Now, the inverse of that is instructive. In other words, if we do lack supplies, maybe we need to stop and ask, are we not doing something God wants us to do? And so he's not providing for us? Or maybe we're doing something but not doing it in God's way. And so we lack supplies. So it can be very instructive, just a little uh, thing to pass on. There's so many promises in Scripture that the Lord will provide for us. And so uh, I'll leave you with that. God's work done in God's way will never lack supplies. Well, that's a freebie. (laughs) The lesson this morning is from Matthew chapter 25 verses 1 through 13, it's a well-known parable that Jesus tells about ten maidens. And having just said that, uh, ten maidens waiting for the bridegroom, I imagine a number of you could just finish the parable, (laughs) because you know it well enough. It's always fun to preach to a uh, biblically literate congregation, people who know the stories. And so, here it goes. At that time, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven will be compared, will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, let's just stop there for a second. Ten virgins who went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, the important thing here isn't that they were virgins, but that they were maidens. You could say they were the uh, bridesmaids. They were the bridesmaids. And the bridegroom had come to take his bride away. Now, that immediately raises some cultural questions for us about Jewish wedding ceremonies and in ancient times. What, what is this? Um, two years ago or so, uh, in, in my congregation, we did a Bible study about the Jewish roots of the Christian faith. And it was very enlightening I thought I knew a lot, but I didn't know nearly what I have since come to learn. Do you know that very famous passage in uh, John chapter 14 where Jesus says, believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. And when I have prepared a place for you, I'll come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Well, guess what that is? That's exactly this. That's exactly this. Jesus comes as the bridegroom for the bride. Now, the way it, it used to work, and I, I just found this to be delightful, um, In ancient Israel, Israel of Jesus' day, 
the parents would, along with the groom, meet with the bride's parents and negotiate a dowry, a bride price. And it was uh, an economic and a legal relationship. The betrothal was as serious as the wedding or marriage itself. And once the uh, agreement was ratified, or once it was agreed upon and to be ratified, the bride's parents and the bridegroom's parents would sign a document indicating that it's done And when they were done with their signatures, they would say, it is finished. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) Kind of like Jesus' words from the cross, it is finished. And then the bridegroom would go home and prepare a place for her in his father's house. And then when the time was right and he'd prepared a place for her and all of the arrangements were made, he would go to get her, to bring her to himself so that where he is, there she may be also. (laughs) Sound familiar? So here the bridegroom comes and the wedding party is to be prepared for the bridegroom's coming. He may come at any hour. You don't know when the bridegroom uh, might come. He might come in the dead of night. He might come in the morning. He might come whenever. But you need to be prepared. So we continue with the parable here. Five of them were foolish. Five were wise. Now this is very typical of Jesus' uh, teaching. People tend to like their Jesus to be someone who always unifies, always brings together. But if you actually read the scriptures with the discerning eye, you'll notice that as often as not, Jesus divides. Not that he divides, but the world is a sinful place. And so people divide around him. He just kind of steps into the room and people begin to choose sides for him and against him. It's just the way it is in a sinful world. Uh, And so even in this case, there's a division between wise and foolish. And the, the foolish ones took their lamps but didn't take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. And so while they were on their way to buy the oil, a bridegroom arrived. The ten virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I do not know you. 
Well, usually when you hear this sermon or a sermon based on this, you'll hear a, a bit of a scold, you know. The, you know, you better be prepared for his coming. That's kind of how it always sounded to me. He's going to come at an hour you don't know and you'd better be prepared for his coming. Well, I want to take a step back from that. This is not scolding us to be prepared. It is a warning to be sure, but it goes very deeply into just the nature of our lives with God. I want you to think about this business of the bridegroom being delayed or the bridegroom absent. We live in a world where it's really not very obvious that God is present. Have you noticed? (laughs) We like to kind of say in faith, God is always with us. Fear not, for I am with you. That's one of the great promises of, of Scripture. Fear not, for I am with you. But I also rather like uh, this line from the famous book, The Red Badge of Courage. I think it's Stephen Crane. The Red Badge of Courage. We're on a Civil War battlefield. The protagonist says, God may as well not exist for all that he shows of himself around here. In the reality of this world, it is not all that obvious that God is present. As a matter of fact, you could almost say God is, uh, (laughs) it's more obvious that God is absent than that God is present at times. Now I'm feeling this rather acutely right now because uh, a parishioner of mine in Big Sandy, Montana, just passed away yesterday morning of, after a three-year battle with cancer. And Thelma was one of the more faithful Christians that I've ever known. But she had a long siege with cancer, and she was in quite a bit of pain. And there were times when it appeared that the cancer, having gone into remission, would stay in remission, and she would live a longer life and then it would be back with a vengeance. And finally, about two weeks ago, she entered hospice care in our little local medical center, and she was receiving pain medication every hour on the hour, and she just lapsed into a coma, hadn't eaten or drank anything for two weeks. And finally, Saturday morning, I got a note from her, her daughter who stayed faithfully by her bedside that mom had passed away Saturday morning. Now I remember three weeks ago when Thelma was still at home and she, wasn't in, she was in hospice care but it was at home and she was receiving pain medication but not nearly enough and she would cry out, why has God forsaken me? Where is God when I need him the most? Now, as I had indicated, she was one of the most faithful Christians uh, that I've known. 
But if Jesus could cry those words from the cross, which I reminded her of, (laughs) then I guess we can too. Because it's part of the reality of our lives that God may withdraw from our conscious senses. Why would God do that? You've noticed the title of this sermon is Faith Alone. (laughs) I'm going to wander over here to these words from Cornerstone because I thought, you know, sometimes when I come here to preach, I'm just astonished by how timely the music is for what I want to say. So my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Now, the original hymn of that goes like this. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. No other ground is, all other ground is sinking sand. This is still great this way. Christ alone, cornerstone. Now, have you ever thought about that? For Christ to be alone, the cornerstone, What needs to happen? There's a line from the original hymn that goes like this. When all supports are washed away, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. If I am ever to learn to rely by faith alone, on Christ alone, then all my other supports may need to be washed away so that I have Christ alone to lean upon. There's a woman who lives across the street from us in Big Sandy, and she and her husband are going through a separation right now, and They have four children, all in elementary school, and she's a very sweet woman and very much in grief right now at the failing of her marriage. And my wife, who's preaching this same sermon this morning in my stead in Big Sandy, she and I spent the week talking about this. She told me on the phone that that, uh, Stephanie had messaged her yesterday You'll never meet her, so I know I can say her name and all this stuff. It won't make any difference. I'm usually much more discreet. Uh, But anyway, uh, Stephanie had messaged my wife and said, I'm at the end of my rope. I'm just at the end of my rope. Our church had put $400 at the local grocery store for her for groceries for children because one of the children at school had told a teacher that he was tired of having cereal for every meal because they couldn't afford more groceries. And here's Stephanie's going, I'm at the end of my rope. Have you ever been at the end of your rope when all supports are washed away? Where you're in the darkness And it's not that your optimism, your natural optimism has failed. There's just no more room for optimism. 
There's some of you that are cheery souls and uh, tend to see the glass half full instead of half empty and you're generally a positive thinker and all of that stuff, but guess what? There will come a time when positive thinking just doesn't quite cut it. I was thinking of when with my son, uh, we went to Lewis and Clark Caverns. How many of you been, have been there? Do you remember that moment when you're down in the bowels, when they turn off the lights? You've never been, had never been in darkness that dark in your life. You could have your hand right there and you wouldn't, couldn't see it. Not even a glimmer of light, not even a shadow so much for positive thinking. <laughs> when darkness veils his lovely face, what then? Well, it may just be that that's exactly where the Lord wants you. Exactly where he wants you so that you learn to trust in him alone. Just the promises of God. You see, these ten maidens, the five foolish ones, they were prepared for the bridegroom's coming. They weren't prepared for his absence. They weren't prepared for the delay. And then when they went off and got enough oil to come back, you know, it was kind of like that's the only kind of bridegroom they're interested in, is the kind of bridegroom who comes on time, who comes when I want him to come, who comes when I'm ready for him to come. In other words, they can go chase off any old bridegroom, chase after any old bridegroom. But the kind of Maidens that Jesus is interested in welcoming into the wedding banquet are those who come prepared not only for his presence, but for his absence. Who have faith alone in him alone. Jerry, uh, when he asked me for my sermon title and I said, Faith Alone, he says, oh, it sounds like Martin Luther. And I went, yep, sure does, sure does. I cut my teeth on this, you know, the, the uh, five solas, solas, the Latin word for alone. The five solas, the word alone, grace alone, faith alone. Christ alone, to God alone the glory. Now, how are we ever to trust in the word alone except that all other supports are washed away? What did Jesus, ask yourself this, what did Jesus have at the cross? He had the only thing that he needed and the only thing that you and I will have when we're there too. And that is a promise. A promise 
that out of death the Father would bring life. That's all he had. (laughs) But that was enough (laughs) because God is good. God is faithful. God keeps his word. We say that kind of tritely and our faith can seem to the outside world like a bit of Pollyanna. You know, it's just kind of sugar-coated sweetness. We go around and say, well, God's always present. He said he would be. And the world doesn't take us very seriously sometimes because the world's a nasty place. And God seems, as I've said earlier, absent as much as present. And so people don't take us all that seriously because we don't take into account in their minds the absence or the apparent absence of God. And so our witness needs to be that when all supports are washed away, he then is all my hope and stay. Soren Kierkegaard, the famous Lutheran philosopher and theologian, said, faith sees best in the dark. Faith sees best in the dark. It's reason that insists on having supports. Reason that insists on God's cozying up to us whenever we feel like we need it. That's reason. Faith says, Father, I'm going to trust that you're present even though I don't feel your presence. C.S. Lewis in his famous book called The Screwtape Letters, which was about how to tempt Christians, he said Screwtape, the uh, demon uh, in charge of Wormwood who's trying to tempt this brand new Christian, Screwtape says to him, we are in no greater danger, that is the demonic kingdom is in no greater danger than when Christians believe the promises of God in spite of all circumstances to the contrary and they obey anyway. Faith sees best in the dark because faith sees Christ. Faith sees promises, the promises of God. And I think having said that, it's kind of a standard joke with my son and me that at this point I should, say, I, I should do something like, oh, and now for my second point. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do is just ask you to repeat after me so that it sinks in from our conscious mind, maybe more into our hearts. Repeat after me. The word alone. Grace alone. Faith alone. Christ alone. To God alone the glory. Amen.